and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor Dana concludes our series on the parables with a look at the divided house. Let's listen. This morning, we are going to wrap up our summer sermon series on the parables. And throughout this summer, we've looked at a lot of different parables. We've looked at some pretty well-known ones. We've also looked at some more confusing and obscure parables. And so I hope that even though we're wrapping up this series, that you all, on your, in your own time, will still take a look at these parables and some of the hidden messages that you'll find in them. So this morning, as we wrap up our series, I want us to look at a little bit more of a well-known parable. This morning, we're going to look at the parable of the divided kingdom, and it occurs in Mark chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. As we keep this parable fresh in our minds, I want to share an experience with you that I had several years ago. When I first graduated from seminary, the very first church that I went and served was a church in western New York. And I was close to Buffalo, so since I was close to Buffalo, I decided to take advantage of the Bills games that occurred. And so I had been to several different NFL games, various stadiums throughout the years. But as soon as I got to the Bills stadium, I realized that it was a very different experience. The minute that you even start approaching the stadium, so you're not even in the stadium yet, the minute you're approaching, you hear nothing but noise and commotion. People are standing the entire game. They do not sit. The stadium seats are metal. It is cold there. That might be why they don't sit. But they are standing, they are cheering, and they are beating on these metal seats. So there is no shortage of cheer. And there's also no shortage of heckling the opposing team. And the opposing team that day was the Patriots. The Patriots had just won the Super Bowl the season prior. So I think that heightened the Bills' desire to actually win the game. And the whole deflate gate scandal had occurred regarding Tom Brady, the quarterback for the Patriots. So that gave these loyal Bills fans a choice array, a vast array of choice words and heckling. So throughout the stadium, as you look around, you see nothing but blue and red. Everybody's wearing the Bills colors. But you can also see that there's some Patriot fans that have showed up to that game. And they too are wearing their team jerseys. They are wearing their team colors. Well, for those poor Patriot fans that had shown up with their jerseys on and proudly displaying their colors, it had placed a target on their back. They were the ones who received the grunt of the hostility. They had peanuts thrown at them. They had beer flung at them. There were several instances where the stadium police come descending out of the stands to break up fistfights that were occurring. And for the people who were not fighting in the stands, they were making arrangements to fight out in the parking lot. 
there was so much division and animosity in those stands that day. And if it was that bad in the stands, I can only imagine what it was like on the field for the actual players. The players who, whose livelihood depends on the outcome of these games. I can only imagine what it must have been like for the coaches and the players who had way more invested in their team's success than the fans. Despite all the ruckus that was occurring in the stands and on the field, the Bills played their hearts out. They had a lead in the first quarter. It was almost a, uh, a win for them. They had a 19-point return in the fourth quarter, but it was still not enough to beat the Patriots. They lost 40-32. It was a really good game to see in person, though. When the game ended, everyone flocked to the the stands or the aisle so that they can start making their way down out of the stands. And when I looked around, I noticed that there were some people that were still sitting in their seats. And the people that were still sitting in their seats were the Patriot fans. They were too fearful to walk down with the rest of us as we were all making our way out of the stadium. And you could hear the Bills fans yelling at the poor Patriot fans that were sitting in their seats still which I'm sure only made them even more fearful to actually leave the stadium with the rest of us. And when I heard these fans yelling, and I saw how scared and embarrassed the Patriot fans looked, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking that people could act and behave this way just over a football game, just over your team, your loyalty, Heartbreaking in the sense that you could inflict harm upon another person, whether that's verbal and emotional harm with the heckling, or whether it's physical harm with the actual fights that were breaking out. As I looked around and witnessed all this taking place, it was disheartening to see how much division and animosity was in those stands. It was the epitome of a divided house a very divided stadium, even after the game. So I'm making my way down the stairs and out of the stadium, and I look out on the field, and there was a lot of players that were still on the field. And as I looked closer, I realized that they were in a circle on the 50-yard line, kneeling down, praying together. And as you see this picture, you can see that there's Bills players, and there's also Patriot players that are intermingled in a prayer circle. And that was a beautiful sight to see. It was a stark contrast to what was occurring in the stands. But it was great to see people rising above their divisions, rising above differences, and coming together through prayer. To see opposing teams coming together right after this game, where tempers are flaring, where emotions have been running high, and they come together as one group to pray with each other and to pray for each other. It is a true glimpse into what it looks like to be the kingdom of God, to be one body of believers, to be one kingdom of brothers and sisters. Being the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, it entails rising above any sort of human divisiveness that may exist in banding together 
Being the kingdom of God entails not allowing things like our football loyalties, our hair color, our skin color, or anything else to divide us as a human race. When God created human beings, his intention was for all of us to have brothers and sisters that we could lean on, brothers and sisters that we could look to for help, that we could journey through life together with. God's intention was for there to be unity amongst all of humankind so that we could carry out the will of God, so that we could further Christ's ministry here on earth. When there is dissension amongst God's people, when there is grudge-holding, resentment, animosity amongst the human race, then that separates us from the will of God. When there is division and separation, it prevents us from doing the work of God and furthering God's kingdom here on earth. That was the point that Jesus was making in this parable from Mark. When he said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. What Jesus was saying was that if there is dissension amongst the human race, then nothing can be accomplished. If God's kingdom is divided, it will crumble and it will fall. If God's kingdom is divided, it will not thrive and succeed. You all may be familiar with Abraham Lincoln's famous speech when he actually quoted these words from Christ. Back in 1858, Abraham Lincoln was running for a seat as state senator in Illinois. And he was running against someone by the name of Stephen Douglas. And during that race, he needed to differentiate himself from his opponent. And so he decided to do so by delivering this speech that was called a divided house. In that speech, he stated the following. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently, half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. As Abe Lincoln's hand gripped the podium that day, and as he delivered this speech, and said a house divided against itself cannot stand, he was shedding light on the fact that the nation needed to come together as one unified body. He was highlighting how the country was divided on the issue of slavery, that as long as the country was going to be divided, then nothing substantial could be accomplished, that as long as the nation was going to be divided on this topic, then it wouldn't thrive and succeed that a divided house cannot stand. It will crumble and fall. Lincoln was unsuccessful in beating out his opponent, Stephen Douglas, but you do know that three years later, he became the president of the United States of America. And during his presidency, he spent that time trying to bridge the gap between the North and the South. He spent his time trying to heal up the schisms in this nation and to abolish slavery. 
He worked hard to create unity amongst fellow Americans and to not have a divided house. Unfortunately, in our day and age, there still exists much division amongst fellow Americans. There are all sorts of dividing lines that we have created in this nation. Dividing lines based on skin color, gender, socioeconomic class, politics. Right now, vaccinated or not vaccinated. The mere fact that we have a Presbyterian church, a Presbyterian denomination, is a dividing line. We continue to live in an era where there is division and separation. Lines are drawn amongst the human race. In fact, Pew Research, Pew Research is a fact tank that polls Americans based on public opinion, politics, and social trends, and then delivers that data. Pew Research delivered some data earlier this week that says that the country is divided now more than it has ever been before. So according to this research, we are living in a day and age where we are the most divided, which means that Jesus' words to us this morning are the most relevant. Jesus' words are more relevant than ever as they inform us of the danger of continuing down this trajectory, continuing down this trajectory of division and separation. Jesus says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it will not stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Therefore, if we are unable to look beyond that which separates and divides us as a human race, as people of God, then God's kingdom will not succeed. If we are unable to rise above the dissension the human divisiveness that splinters and separates us from others, then Christ's ministry cannot be furthered. God's kingdom cannot reign here on earth. When Matt and I first started dating, we very quickly realized that there was an issue. And I'll, I'll show you what that issue is and still is. We realized that we have pledged our loyalty to opposing football teams. Matt grew up in New Jersey, and so he favors the Philadelphia Eagles. I, on the other hand, grew up in the good old South, and so I favor the Dallas Cowboys. I grew up in the era of Emmitt Smith and the Cowboys making it to the Super Bowl every year, and so I pledged my loyalty to the Cowboys. Well, that makes Matt and I division rivals. I'm going to put my flag over here and make sure the right team is poking out. <laughs> now, despite Matt's terrible decision in a football team, I still said yes when he proposed. And my home went from being a very peaceful, cowboy-worshipping home to a divided house where there was eagle fan gear strewn all about. As we entered into marriage as division rivals, we created this divided house, and we knew that we had some work to do. We knew that we had a long road ahead of us if we were going to keep the peace during football season. 
We knew that we had to put in some hard work so that our divided house wouldn't crumble under this silly rivalry. So I had to learn how to love Matt beyond his terrible choice in a football team. I had to look beyond the Eagles fan gear that he proudly displays all over our home. I have to actively choose kindness and mercy and humility every time the Cowboys stomp the Eagles instead of rubbing that in his face. And some may ask, like him, when has that happened? December 27th of 2020, not that long ago. We learned by putting all this silly competition away that life is about so much more than competition. This is the highest level of competition that a person could reach, the Olympic Games. And yet you see these two humans actually behaving humanely. You see them stopping their race, essentially giving up their dream, what they have worked their whole life for, to check on someone else and to make sure that they're okay. This is the height of what it looks like to rise above it all, to rise above division, animosity, competition, and to come together. There are all kinds of things that we could look to and allow ourselves to be divided and separated from others. There are all sorts of things that we can compete with our neighbor over, not just sports. But Jesus' appeal to us this day is an appeal to rise above it all, to not let ourselves be consumed by petty matters that sometimes get the best of us, to not let our favorite sports team, the color of our skin, or nationality, divide and splinter the kingdom of God. God desires unity amongst his people. God desires one house, one kingdom, working together in the same direction, working in the same direction so that God's will may be done, so that Christ's ministry can be furthered, so that God's kingdom can reign here on earth. May we do our part to heed this appeal. May we do what we can to put away any sort of human divisiveness that may exist. May we do what we can, where we can, to unify the body, to heal up the schisms that exist in this nation. May we live and strive to act as one unified house, one collective body of believers, one kingdom under God that's indivisible. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.